0: Hey everybody and welcome back to another episode of the JavaScript Jabber. This week on our panel we have AJ O'Neill.
1: Yo 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 coming at you live from the Darkosphere.
0: Amy Knight. It always amuses me that you need
2: to remember where you're coming from.
1: Well, I have to make it up
2: half the time.
3: <laughs> we also have Amy Knight.
4: Hey hey from Nashville.
3: Steve Edwards. Hey hey, coming from Arlington, Virginia in a very tiny booth in an office building.
0: Oh, that's new. Yes. Dan Shapir. I'm from hot and humid Tel Aviv. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv and this week we have a couple of special guests. We have Bianca, oh I didn't even ask how to say your last name, is it Grijar? something like that?
5: Best not to say it. It's usually my advice. It's a made up (laughs) name, we pronounce it Gritza. Oh, awesome. Mm.
0: (laughs) And we also have Sumitra. it says M on here, but yeah, both of you, uh, do you want to introduce yourselves? Tell us where you're from, why you're awesome, why you're famous?
4: Again, yeah, introduce myself. So I'm Sumitra. I'm an intermediate software engineer at Raygun. I've been at Raygun for just over a couple of years now. Um, It's actually my first job in the tech industry. I swear I started my whole career from intern to intermediate from where I am today. I have been working in the public site space for Raygun, raygun raygun.com, including conducting research and also looking into our core vital metrics and seeing where our blog currently stands and what improvements we can actually make on our blog. These days, I'm actually more focused on the application side of Raygun, though. So my primary focus has been working more on the front end in terms of React and Ty- TypeScript, and also just general front end space. I love a good CSS challenge as well. I really love my CSS. I've always had a little bit of design side in me, but more recently, I've actually been working on a product feature called Alerting, which has a focus around smart alerts for core web metrics. It's me.
0: Awesome. I, how about you, Bianca? I, um, yeah, you like sure. It? Some, uh,
3: I was going to say that's the first time I've heard the term intermediate engineer. I always hear junior and senior. I don't senior. I don't hear intermediate too often. Maybe it's just me, but I thought
0: that was interesting.
2: Interesting.
0: Yeah, I think that's when you're flying below the radar but above the trees. Something like <laughs> that. Yeah.
5: <laughs> that's
0: a good one. Need to remember that. All right, Bianca, go ahead and introduce yourself.
5: Yes. Hi. So, hello from Wellington, New Zealand. It is insanely early in the morning for us here. So bear with us if we kind of have momentarily breaks. To have some more coffee although i probably shouldn't have any more coffee i was just saying to dan earlier it's it's really good to have Sumitra with me here this morning you had an episode recently about bringing more women onto the stage highlighting the women in tech and now we have two talking about technology today it's kind of a rare occurrence for me too so on some of the episodes you did uh, more extended intros of yourself and i really enjoyed that and they all seem to be involving like a bit of a personal history of coding And since I'm a product manager, I have to get my street cred by giving you mine. And so I started uh, writing code in 86, writing BASIC on a computer that my dad brought home from work and and had hooked up to the TV. And I really enjoyed that as a child. And so I picked up a a range of obscure languages in school, like Turbo Pascal and Prologue and Scheme and those kind of things. But I remember uh, our teacher came to us one day and said, there's this new thing called Java. And I don't know how it works, so how about you learn it and then teach me? And uh, so this enabled me uh, to... I have
2: to say that <laughs> that's a great teacher. That's an awesome way to get the student engaged.
5: It, it really was, yeah. And, and it was a fun way of learning. And also it enabled me to get these uh, really highly paid jobs building really shitty websites in HTML and JavaScript. So the, the good old days of the internet bubble where I was earning more money than my mom and I was still in school. So... And my mom was a doctor at the time. And yeah, so when those days are over, I I went on to study artificial intelligence. Unfortunately, before it was really cool and there were tons of jobs. So the languages that I'm really most familiar with were things like Python and R and MATLAB and and all sorts of academic things. So I always really enjoyed the process of turning an idea into reality. So kind of doing the end-to-end planning of all steps. And so it was kind of unsurprising that I ended up doing product management. I've been doing that in various forms for the last 15 years and have hardly coded at all, but still really, really enjoy working with engineers, and I joined Raygun at the beginning of this year. So I haven't been with Raygun for very long, but I found it to be the kind of perfect combination of a, a very technical product that's very much based in data and, and a market that is very interesting and full of uh, opportunities to grow. So that's me.
2: That's awesome,
0: Bianca. Thank you very much for sharing that, really. Did you work your tail off to get that senior developer gig just to realize that senior dev doesn't actually mean dream job? I've been there too. My first senior developer job was at a place where all of our triumphs were the bosses and all the failures were ours. The second one was a great place to continue to learn and grow, only for it to go under due to poor management. And now I get job offers from great places to work all the time. Not only that, but the last job interview I actually sat in was a discussion about how much my podcast had helped the people interviewing me. If you're looking for a way to get into your dream job, then join our Dev Heroes Accelerator. Not only will we help you get the kind of exposure that makes you attractive to your dream employer, but you'll be able to ask them for top dollar as well. Check it out at devheroesaccelerator.com. Yep. Yeah, now I'm intimidated. We've got these ladies that are way smarter than I am. So. Mission accomplished. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited for this too, just from the standpoint of a couple of things. One is is that we've been talking to JD, who's the CEO of Ray Gun, off and on over the years on JavaScript Jabber. And and just kind of personally beyond that, also been talking to Andre, who also works over there about some of the stuff that you all have been doing with Core Web Vitals. And then we've put together a couple of episodes about Core Web Vitals. And so I'm interested to see what you all are doing to kind of go deeper on this topic. So kind of in the interest of not rehashing a whole bunch of stuff that we've kind of already talked over, I kind of want to see if Dan, if you can kind of give us kind of an overview of what we've talked about so far in just a couple of minutes. And then we can kind of delve into some of the stuff that we we haven't gone as deep on, and talk about some of the stuff that that Raygun has that can help us. I, I guess knock this stuff out, right?
2: Yeah, for sure. I'd be happy to. So uh, yeah, we we did we have had a couple of episodes about this topic, and it's not really surprising because Google has really pushed this front and center, the web world. Uh, and it's affecting a lot of people it's like really hot topic right now we are recording this at the beginning of august this is essentially in the middle of google rolling out an update that causes core web vitals to be used as a ranking signal within google search so if you get really good core web vitals it can actually give you a boost in terms of uh, your ranking. And obviously, that's got a lot of people very interested and excited about this. Essentially, Core Web Vitals are three metrics that are used to gauge the, the performance and the experience of uh, of a website around mostly around the loading uh, part of the experience. The three are Largest Contentful Paint, or LCP for short, uh, which stands for When, relative to the beginning of uh, the session, the largest contentful item, which can be either an image or a block of text, is is displayed. Uh, The next one is first input delay or FID, which is also measured in milliseconds. But this one is from the the first time that the visitor interacts with the page. An interaction could be a mouse click or a key press, not uh, panning and zooming those don't count as interactions. So it measures the time from that interaction until the code that's associated with that interaction, either built-in functionality in the browser or JavaScript that's associated with the event, uh, can run. And the last one is CLS, or Cumulative Layout Shift, and that measures how much things jump around. That one actually isn't measured in, uh, in time units. It's essentially just a number. It's unitless. But you can think of it as looking at or measuring the amount of shifts that uh, or movements that content has in, inside the display not as a result of user interaction so if the content moves on its own common example maybe is that an an ad loads and then pushes the rest of the content uh, down and causes you the inconvenience of losing where you were in the text in the middle of reading it uh, which is really annoying so these are the three metrics and they're supposed to measure the quality like I said of the of the page load and page rendering and like I said Google is starting to use them as as a ranking signal and also you know in general when a page is loads quickly and is pleasant to use then it usually has a really positive impact on on engagement reduces bounce rate stuff like that so it's not just Google it's it's Stuff in general, and just to finish my spiel, we like you said we did have a couple of episodes about it. Uh, so we had uh, Rick Viscomi from Google, the guy who runs uh, the Crux database, which we can talk about later on, talking about how Google collects this information from user sessions. We had Martin Split uh, also from Google, who was talking about Google Search and SEO, and also explained how Google actually uses this information as I mentioned, as a ranking signal. And finally, we had an episode with me where I talked in a lot more detail about what these metrics are and what they actually measure and the ups and downs of them. And uh, we can post links to all these episodes. And now we can hand over to our guests. I would like to begin by learning more about Raygun and what Raygun does and what it offers because I think our discussion is in the context of uh, what Reagan does to help uh, with improving Core Web Vitals.
5: Yeah, sure. Thanks for that summary. That was uh, great. And actually, you picked up a really interesting thing at the beginning, saying Core Web Vitals are now something that's recognized as... If you improve them, you can get a boost in your search rankings, which is quite a change from how it was announced initially, where Google was talking about penalizing websites that weren't doing this. So it's been really interesting to see how the conversation about it changed. And that's uh, very much what we're trying to do here, building up on these episodes that you had with other guests already. We particularly enjoyed the one with Rick, Rick, where he's talking about the um, Crux data set. And uh, so I'd like to start with a couple of points from that, where that were really interesting for us and a really great kind of confirmation we were going in the right direction with how we're implementing these metrics in Raygun. So he was talking about the Cracks data set being Google's field data, not being a replacement for a real user monitoring tool. And uh, instead, always making sure you've got your own field data about your own customers and you're using a real user monitoring tool that measures callback vitals the same way that kind of Google does. So you actually have a way to compare and track the data in the same way. So uh, Rick also said one thing, and I'm sure he doesn't didn't quite mean it that kind of drastically, but it really stuck with me because he, he mentioned that to him or to Google, it doesn't matter if, if you've got an FID, say that is 100 or 1200 milliseconds, because all that matters is that you're under that good threshold, that threshold set by Google, the passing kind of value that you need to not be penalized to get that boost in in search rankings. And of course, that uh, doesn't sit well with me because for us, customer experience matters overall. And we want to know exactly what kind of experience your customers uh, are having. And also want to know exactly who they are, which is the the kind of other big point that I'm going to be talking to.
2: Yeah, just to interrupt and to be fair towards uh, Rick. Yeah, you're correct in that Google really puts the the score in these three buckets of either good, needs improvement, or poor, and then they don't really like distinguish. Like once you're good, you're good, and that's it. Or if you're poor, then and and you get the maximum boost. And if you're poor then you don't get any boost and it doesn't really matter if you're slightly poor or very poor. It is important to note that Rick made this comment specifically in the context of the, the ranking signal and not the actual experience of the people on the page. And in that regard, I totally agree with what you said that it might not make a difference for Google or so much or at all, but it can definitely make a difference for your visitors and for your engagement. I just do want to add that they did afterwards clarify that once you're in the needs improvement range, you do get a gradually increasing score. So, uh, but that that just came out, this information came out after that interview with Rick. So, so yeah.
5: Yeah, and it very much shows that this is kind of like still an ongoing thing, right? And like I said, the conversation about it, it's still kind of developing and it's, it's definitely developing in the, right direction for the way that we look at things at at Reagan because our our point when we started this project of implementing covert vitals adding them to our suite of performance measuring and tracking was who who are we optimizing for how much should we focus focus on covert vitals because it's not just about passing these thresholds yes that's important but we want to optimize for Well, we want to help our customers optimize for their customers and not for this Google data set, because while there's really good field data and really good benchmark, it's not 100% representative of of the customer groups. So that was a very long-winded answer to coming to talking about Raygan itself and giving you a quick, quick introduction. Can I chime in here real quick? Sure.
0: Because one thing that I found just, uh, you know, over the last, what, 15 years that I've been a... Uh, web developer, is that a lot of the business folks that that I talk to, they tend to pick up some of these metrics that they care about, right? And so if they're looking at anything related to Core Web Vitals, they're going to care about which band in the okay needs improvement, you know, whatever that Google puts us in or not, right? And so they may care about which strata we're in with Google. Right. And so that may be the only thing they care about because they're just really focused on our web ranking, you know, and whether or not we're being boosted or penalized. Whereas others may really actually care about, okay, what is the user experience and how does that translate to the bottom line and what what other implications does it have? And so when we're talking about this, I think it's important and I, I kinda wanna set the stage for Ray Gunn a little bit and set the stage for Crux and some of the other tools that Google gives you as well, you have to understand what your stakeholders want and what they care about. And so, if the, all they care about is your Google ranking, then the Google tools are going to be your primary source of information because that's all they're going to be looking at. Uh, but I actually,
2: if, I apologize for interrupting, Chuck, but I actually disagree. I think that even if you're looking, if you're focusing primarily on the Google ranking, uh, mm-hmm. The Google tools have some significant limitations, which okay. were actually discussed by by Rick. So and I think Bianca was actually absolutely correct at the very beginning when she said that even if you're focusing primarily on that, probably you shouldn't. But even if you're focusing primarily on that, then having a tool that gives you more detailed field information, can be extremely
0: useful. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. But my point is, is you do need to understand what your stakeholders want, right? Oh uh, yeah. For sure.
5: And you need to you need to have those metrics, but to mm-hmm. provide you that context <laughs> that you were asking for. So we Regan is about enabling developers to deliver these really great experiences to their customers to build software that is a joy to use, right? And so we do that in a in a variety of different ways. It's it's about this instant visibility to what's going on in your software, but it is also very much about actionable insights. And this is where it's coming to Mm. this point that we were just discussing is, yes, you can read the metrics, but you can do a lot more because we've built our tools to uh, be based in a workflow. So it's about monitoring, detecting, diagnosing, and resolving those issues, not just about reporting a metric. Yes, you can do that as well. Absolutely. And you're right. Like sometimes that's all it needs. But we really want to enable um, our users, our customers, to be pinpointing those issues that impact the groups of users that they care about the most and and also manage that workflow of fixing the issue and then measuring if it worked. So we do that by having error logging connected with server-side performance measuring, but primarily um, in this case of core vitals it's about real user monitoring and so for us core vitals when they announced it was fantastic because we are already customer centric this switch to being more customer centric not you know search engine optimization centric made total sense for us and we we have uh, this fantastic tool where we can actually provide all of this granular data that for privacy reasons and for other reasons you cannot get through the Google tools and you can really kind of drill down into session level detail. We don't sample all of our data in reuser user monitoring. It goes two months back, so a data retention of two months. So in parallel with these Google tools, you can really go ahead and figure out, okay, what is happening for these specific groups of users for a specific metric and how would I go about and addressing those issues and fixing them.
2: So to better understand what exactly you're, you're providing, if I want to use Raygun in my website, I guess I need to embed some of your code within my website, like add a script tag or something like that. How how, how do I actually integrate your solution into the website itself?
5: So Subitra, I'll let you speak to yeah. that. <laughs>
4: so with Raygun, it's really easy to set that we... Usually for, so for JavaScript, we do actually support quite a few languages, but for JavaScript specifically, you just get like a code snippet um, when you are setting up and you just put that into your code base and you have to, of course, call a few methods just to get RUM enabled. And then once you've got traffic piping through, Raygun just fills in your dashboard with all these metrics. That's really easy to set up. I've set it up before and it's, Yeah, really simple. You don't have to do much. When you have frameworks such as React, um, you can download packages that actually support the specific language that you want to be or the specific framework so that you don't catch errors that are kind of more related to the library rather than your code itself. Yeah, so really easy and simple to set up.
2: And the data itself is that usually collected onto your own servers. So it's kind of a... Uh, service that you're offering and then I I access the data on your servers via the dashboard?
4: Yeah, yeah, that's the one and you are in complete control of what you send to us as well. So if there is like PII data, for example, that you don't want to be sending to us, you can take that control on your side of the code base and you can tell us what not to send us and what to send us. For example, an IP address. If that's not what you want, you have that full control. So if you do have those regulations in place, it is pretty simple to be able to turn off such things as well.
2: And I assume there's also stuff like scrubbing out passwords and all that sort of thing.
4: Yeah, again, yeah, that's true. Again, that is in your, that is um, where that begins with you. And if you want that setting off, you have to specifically state that yourself um, if you don't want to be tracking such things, because it is possible to get that data sent through to us if that's what you've put through. But you can definitely, yeah, again. To net sitting
2: off. And if I'm trying to think from, like, if I do like a, cro- a course segmentation of the data that I assume that you're collecting, then I assume that one layer of data is metrics or measurements that you get from the browser itself, like, for example, core vitals. Another strata would be data that you're collecting from a framework or a library that I'm using. And then another layer, I assume, would be applicative that would enable me to actually like uh, send notifications or signal events or whatever into your system as well. Is that more or less correct?
4: Yeah, I'm yeah. You we have those layers of how you want to be monitoring your. Data. Um, and if you do want to receive alerts for, for example, in crash reporting, if you have a specific error coming through that you don't want, you can be notified. And also with our tool re- for user monitoring as well, if you want to be notified about what the overall experience is on your specific app, how is it going? Does it need some work? Is it poor? Is it great? You can get notified with a daily digest um, email notification as well. I think it's great to note that with. Web Vitals within Raygun, we monitor across, um, across browsers, so on Chromium and non-Chromium-based browsers that um, Web Vitals does support, whereas within um, like PageSpeed Insights, for example, they only monitor Google Chrome users and they only accept the people that are, they only collect, collect data from people who've actually even opted in Google Chrome users, which can give you pretty skewed results and false positives as well. So if you are looking in RayGun right for your Core Web Vitals, you can actually see across the board from all the Chromium and non-cronium browsers that Core Web Vitals actually supports, which you will probably get a lot more accurate results as well. And
2: Yeah, I just wanted to... We kind of do the same thing at Wix, essentially, that, that we also, like like you said, we, we collect uh, this sort of data from any browser from which you can get it and not just from the Google Chrome browser. It's important to note then that on the one hand, like you said, it provides you with with potentially more accurate data because you're looking at, at more sessions. But on the other hand, you do need to remember that at the end of the day, Google themselves are only looking at the sessions that get into crux in terms of their ranking signal. So if you're Concerned about a visitor experience as you should be, then it's great that you're looking at more sessions. But if your only concern is is ranking, then then some of the sessions that you're reporting about don't actually impact the ranking. That's just a
0: thing to note.
4: Yeah, I, yeah, definitely. And I, I think have a couple of
0: questions here. Yep. So one is, and and this is one of the things that I was kind of heading toward when I was uh, talking earlier. Is so, crux you get. Your numbers, like you said, it was kind of, you don't get the individual sessions. It's all kind of aggregated over 28 days, if I remember right. So you just kind of get aggregated information, right?
5: That's right. It's a 28 days cycle, which also means, you know, if you make improvements for you to really see the full impact of that, you have to wait 28 days. You don't
0: see it immediately.
5: You don't see it immediately. It's aggregated for the f- Whole site. I mean, you can put individual pages into PageSpeed Insights and measure those, but you know it's fairly tedious if you want to see only specific areas, like business critical areas of your site. And and just a, a comment to what Dan was saying earlier is this was what Rick picked up when he said, "Cool, you should be using a RUM tool in parallel with the Crux data set, but make sure they measure things the same way." So. Of course, we're measuring the, the op vitals. We're using the, the library, the Google library for that. But also you have the chance to set up ROM to be just showing you the data of last month and to only show you data coming through from Chrome users. Oh, so you cool. can that, that see was, yeah.
0: That was the so, other question I had was, how do you know you're measuring it the same way? And so it sounds like there's a Google library.
2: Yeah, exactly. There is a Google library created by by Phil Walton, another Googler, we should probably get him on the show sometime. He wrote. He wrote this uh, nice. Yeah, he wrote this nice and, and actually fairly small and lightweight library that actually collects the collects the data. And and yes, it's it's usually the best way to integrate the fun- the collection functionality and indeed ensure that you're collecting it the same way that Google does.
5: Mm. Yeah, and so we collect the data the same way. We show you everything in ROM, but then you can filter down to just look at it the same way that. Google would if you're specifically interested in passing those scores. So if you want to make sure everybody um, has a great experience overall, you want to look at everything. If you want to look at only business critical areas of your site and make sure that you're passing the scores for that or that people have a great experience there, you can filter it down to that. If you say you have a marketplace or an e-commerce website and you're only selling into specific regions, then you can look at only those customers in those regions and make sure that you're optimizing the experience for them. I mean, it, it's very difficult to make sure you're optimizing co globally because of the different conditions and the different hostings and so on. So that's that's definitely an advantage, an advantage you have in, in Raygun to be able to filter and just look at those specific groups of users. Oh, no, like, cool.
4: Sorry. I just wanted to jump in and say it's definitely good to note in uh, Raygun that as soon as you plug in Raygun into your code base and you start receiving traffic on your site, the data comes through immediately. So you don't have to wait 28 days, whereas whereas in PageSpeed Insights, you do have to wait that 28 days. And another great thing is that you can see historical data as well as Bianca mentioned. You can see two months from past the 28-day retention that Google PageSpeed Insights actually has. Another thing to also note is that we can also let our users know of when, what the largest assets are within the granularity of the section of loading the asset and how long it takes to load, such as how long is a transfer load, how long is a DNS load of a specific content, and it's basically who of the site visitors are affected by poor core web vitals. So we can definitely, I feel like, back ourselves more with what crux can offer and dashboard wise as well and again also the top level filters in raygun as well can actually pinpoint certain aspects as to what metrics look like in certain countries like as Bianca mentioned certain conditions and them as actually poor connection uh, internet connection in some countries as well you are catering to not just desktop but you're also catering to mobile as well they can have different load times for different aspect ratios depending on what you're testing on, depending on who you are exactly getting your uh, users to use your website on. So I think uh, LCP, I believe, is going to be very dependent on power processing of devices. And this is great because you can, it's great because uh, for RAM, you can actually use the top level filters to see how and what devices are affected by poor core web vitals metrics as well. So, But I'll just point that out as well.
2: That's actually something I wanted to ask you about, uh, which is besides the core web vitals themselves, are you also looking or monitoring other performance metrics uh, know stuff like uh, maybe first contentful paint or or the or time to first byte or stuff like that or can I configure monitoring for, the, for additional metrics?
4: Yep, so we definitely do. We have custom timings as well. So you can actually put in whatever metrics you want to monitor for your sites. And we definitely do by default have first paint, I believe, and also first contentful paint as well. There are a lot of performance metrics that we do collate for you. We also collate the fully loaded state. We do XHR calls as well and see how the time it took to call a specific HR request to respond. There is a lot of different different metrics that you can collect beyond core vitals as well to understand the breakdown of a specific session. Yeah, did you want to touch on that further, Bianca?
5: Yeah, I think it was just a great another great point to say, look, um, and even Google said that when they announced core vitals, they said it's, you know, we're gonna to continue to uh, change these, to add more metrics, to further move into a mobile-first approach, to put the customer, the user experience at the center. So for us, this message is is great because we are saying monitoring customer and user experience is something you should be doing all the time. And you should be always looking to improve that, uh, that experience and to measure your data, not just as a one-off in order to achieve a certain search ranking. So it's uh, like Sumitra said, it's a, it's a flexible system where you can put in those metrics that specifically uh, matter to you and we'll be adding those standard metrics that you'll need to have because you need even even if covid vitals right now had don't have a huge impact on on your search rankings I mean it's it's going to become the norm. And so we'll be adding those those metrics that are becoming the norm that make sense in terms of the workflow, and you can add those metrics that specifically make sense to your application as well.
0: Yeah, but I the implication I sounds more. like the implication sounds like though that if I am paying attention to some of these other metrics, I might may wind up ahead of the curve when Google comes and says, "Okay, core web vitals now includes some of this other performance data." Uh,
5: absolutely, and we've, we've seen um, one of, one of our customers, Yuke's has been picking up Corvette vitals, I think, as early as June last year. So they've been writing about it and writing about how they improved um, the Corvette vitals. And now, as a result of that, they're ahead of, mm-hmm. I think, like 90% of their their competition. So like, this is definitely the message we're sending to the Reagan customers is do this now, because now is the time to get an advantage.
2: And And I'll, and I'll repeat it again. Um, you know, it's it's really great that Google is pushing the market in the right direction using uh this prod, which is the, the Google ranking. But it's important to always remember that it's so it's it's so much beyond just the ranking. It's also about reducing your bounce rate. It's also about mm-hmm. increasing engagement. If you're it's been shown again and again that if your site is is more pleasant to use, more performant, then you will get higher conversion rates. And on the, conversely, if your site is really slow and clunky, then your visitors will bounce. So even if you're you're saying I don't care about Google rank, I'm run running, I have enough money to run an, an AdWord campaign and get my my visitors that way. If your site is slow and clunky, they'll arrive at your site, but then they'll just leave. So So it goes well beyond just the ranking aspect, at least from my perspective.
0: Well, the marketing books. So I I kind of play this game where I live in the tech world and the marketing world. And yeah, all the marketing literature talks about that too, right? I mean, ultimately, you play the game where you're trying to get the traffic first. But once you're getting the traffic, yeah, the next number you're playing with is how how do I get these people to convert? And yeah, if if they're bouncing off your website because it's not loading up or they're not having a good experience or the thing that they need to click on isn't showing up so they don't know what to do. Those are all viable. It's a technology solution, but it's a marketing problem.
5: Yeah, and I think this is one of the great opportunities that co vitals provide right it's bringing those those groups closer together developers designers marketers because with co-vital vitals, there is a measurable goal a shared goal that people now have like to the point where even the people who hold the budget care now about achieving mm-hmm. uh, these good results and so that enables the teams to work together but it does require everybody to work together because if you have only developers optimizing your website for Core Vitals, that might be detrimental to your content, which then again, you know, that is detrimental to you reaching the audience in the first place. So it has to be done in parallel, and you have to be able to measure what you're doing across the board, not just with Core Vitals. So Core Vitals in context with everything else. That's
4: very yeah. easy as well to put. The, all the work on the engineers as well and give them the work to fix what's currently in production. But whereas with this situation, you do have the opportunity, like, I agree with Bianca, like you do have the opportunity to be able to work with designers and marketers and engineers as one team and find the best decisions. Like design have the capability to create a flow and then and decide the placement of the elements. Like do we need large pieces of context on mobile above the fold? Do we need all that content there? What happens when a pop-up Appears does it does it move all the content down the screen or does it just overlay um, on top of the current content and even for marketers they can make uh, decisions on what content is crucial to have like at I know at Raygun that's it's a very close relationship between designers and marketers to be working on what is best to actually present to site visitors on our public website like is that is that hero image really necessary on mobile is it only necessary on desktop and of course engineers like they have the opportunity they have the knowledge to be able to actually optimize the content that is presented to them as mocks from designers to to actually compress images or to delay um, content that's not critical as well so together like everyone can collaborate and this can be one mission to actually improve these metrics as a team so it's a great collaboration opportunity um, in my view and yeah, of course like it's a great opportunity to actually improve the user experience like I, I totally agree Dan on the point where it, it definitely is not just about keeping those numbers low it's not just about getting them in the green zone but it's actually about caring about your customers and your site visitors caring about what they see how fast the content loads and I think the uh, CLS metric is a great example of like you should really definitely care about user experience because that whole metric there is it's not measuring load times it's measuring the it measures like the impact fraction and the distance fraction that's why it's not a a unit of measurement it's just numbers so I, I yeah I definitely agree to the fact that it is all about user experience and a lot less about the numbers that come into play
0: are you ready for Core Web Vitals? Fortunately, Raygun can help. These modern performance metrics play an important role in determining the health of your website, which is why Raygun has baked them directly into their real user monitoring tools. Now you can see your Core Web Vital scores are trending across your entire website in real time and drill into individual pages to focus your efforts on the biggest performance gains. Unlike traditional tools, Raygun surfaces real user data, not synthetic, giving you greater insights and control. Filter your score by time frame, browser, device, geolocation, whatever matters to you most. And what makes Raygun truly unique is the level of detail they provides so you can take action. Quickly identify and resolve front-end performance issues with full waterfall breakdowns, user session data, instance-level diagnostics of every page request, and a whole lot more. Visit raygun.com today and take control of your core web vitals. Plans start from as little as $8 per month. That's raygun.com for your free 14-day trial.
3: Hey, I got a question for you here, and this might go off down a little rabbit trail, and I think Dan might appreciate this because we had a friend of his on to talk about this in terms of accessibility. So I know there's... I remember seeing a blog post one time that discussed about how I got this great lighthouse scores, but my accessibility was crap. You know, so we put all all this time into making sure everything loads fast and it's a good experience and so on, but for who? And so... I'm not sure, you know, I haven't really studied the Core Web Vitals as as much as some of you. So I'm just curious to see how much um, accessibility plays into uh, a good search ranking or, if, or how much that comes into play uh, with Core Web Vitals at all. I, the stat that comes to mind, Dan, and remind me who your friend was that we had on here. It was a really good episode. Bruce before. Lawson.
2: It was huh? Bruce Lawson. Bruce Lawson.
3: Yeah, and he one of the studies he mentioned was the amount of money that is left on the table by e-commerce sites because they have poorly accessible websites, and that number is it's it was in the billions of dollars, or you know something like that. So anyway, I'm just curious to see if and how much, if so, does accessibility in terms of you know being accessible to screen readers and semantic HTML and all that favor into making a website or play into a good score.
2: Well, what I can tell you in this context is, is first of all, Core Web Vitals are just one signal out of hundreds of, uh, of signals and not necessarily even the most important ones. And they themselves are part of what is known as the, the page experience signals, which include other aspects like being mobile-friendly, being uh, HTTPS, Having a safe browser, uh, not including uh, malicious uh, code and stuff like that. So, so yes, uh, there are a lot of aspects that play into ranking well on Google. Uh, generally speaking, from my experience, having good accessibility goes hand in hand with good SEO. And with regard to performance, even though a lot of people don't think about performance in the context of accessibility, it is actually a form of accessibility. Because accessibility is all about making your content available to a larger uh, segment of people. And if you have poor performance, it means that people in certain countries may not be able to access your content. It means that people who are who belong to certain segments of society might not be able to access your content because they happen to be using lower-end devices. So, so, you know, it, it all goes hand-in-hand. Hand. And at the end of the day, it's all about providing a better experience. And in that context, I definitely think that Raygun and Similar Solutions play a very important role in in improving the quality of the web.
0: I'm going to... I think you're right, Dan. And I kind of want to talk a little bit about taking us back to kind of the Core Web Vitals uh, discussion here for a minute, because I think Sumitra was, was talking about some of these ideas on some of the things that we can do, you know, so... The ideas around improving accessibility or improving core web vitals or, you know, working as a team to do these kinds of things and, and all of this stuff, right? So the thing that I'm interested in is what are the indicators, right? What is there like a big red, you know, banner <laughs> that comes up, or, you know, I, I load up Ray Gun and it smacks me on the head and says, Hey, this isn't good. Um, you know, and then are there helps to know how to fix it? For for accessibility, for core, core web vitals, for other things that are going to improve the customer experience.
4: We so uh, what I'm aware of, Raygun, uh, we don't exactly provide what you can specifically to, to do. Um, you can't you can't necessarily get that information. But I know um, when I was actually doing research on improving our core vital metrics for our blog site, I actually use Raygun. I use that own tool, mm-hmm. which kind of makes a success story in itself, but. I think with our tool, you can you get the metrics, right? You see where the problems are. Like, for example, if you've got a really long render load within a specific request session, you can see where it um, all falls down. You do your research to understand why a render would take so long. But on top of that, we support the fact that you want to know exactly what specific assets you want to be um, targeting, what specific assets are actually taking so long to load. We have a, a timeline timeline, a timeline chart, which gives you a waterfall view of exactly when um, specific assets were to load and how long they took. So for example, fonts and uh, CSS files, like how long, uh, where did it start in the waterfall chart? And how long did it take? Did it take 500 milliseconds? Did it take 1.5 seconds? You can actually see that. And you can also filter down exactly in the timeline chart what assets you want to be looking into. Um, Do you want to be looking into XHR cores? Do you want to be looking in JavaScript? Or do you want to be looking at only CSS? You are able to get that granular filter within Raygun to understand what content is giving you the biggest bottleneck in terms of your performance. So to
2: better understand what what you're describing, let's say I'm looking at uh, the load time of my hero image. Is it like averaged or something like that across all the sessions or do I drill down into a particular session or can I do both? How how do you present this information?
4: You can definitely do both. You can look at a specific page of your site and see how it is performing overall or you can actually look into a user session which I find quite useful. I think it's good to be looking at a specific session because you get the opportunity to look at a specific country, a specific browser, and our specific operating system as well. Whereas if you compare this to a different session that has a different filter granularity, you can see the performance in terms of how it actually renders in terms of such as in New Zealand versus in the States. So if you had a, a customer base that was largely in the states you don't you don't necessarily care about i don't know like india or france or something like that you can actually filter down to the specific country that you want to be targeting itself um because that is where your revenue is generated the most looking into a specific session for a specific user is where you will get that granular information to actually be able to optimize and see where the
5: bottlenecks are yeah so to come at it from from uh, another direction, check what you were asking. As, I mean, I love the idea of having a big red banner that's, that's like, fix this. This is the most important thing. And as a product manager, one can dream that will have a, a list of recommendations that's tailored to you. But at the moment... Yeah.
0: Either way, I just want to know what to do, right?
5: Exactly. And so at the moment, our recommended workflow there is... Is, is something uh, Sumitra just mentioned, but I want to mention it because I'm super proud of it and I don't think anybody else offers this and at the moment, which is we give you those those uh, good needs improvement, poor performance segments mm. um, like Google does, but then you can actually see what does it mean, not just in terms of page loads, but actually in terms of user sessions. So you can drill into those segments and have a look at who are those people, what are those sessions that are experiencing this specific page or my my site overall in a a specific way and then identify those patterns, right? And so if you have a look at the list of, of sessions with a poor performance and you get all the details, you can start spotting what might they have in common. Is it a specific browser? Is it a, a region? Or is it something else? And then you use the filters to you know, remove those that you think are experiencing something a certain way and check, okay, does that have a, an impact on the metrics? If yes, cool, go further down that way and really identify who it is. And so this is really the, the workflow at, we were talking about before is going through, looking at the experiences on a, um, I mean, you can go as far as granular as specific page, a specific user, a specific session on that page. So really identifying what could be causing it and then testing your theory on, on the whole group of users to Understand if that's the biggest issue that you should be addressing. But we also absolutely recommend using Search Console, Page for the inside Lighthouse in parallel, because there are some great recommendations on what is causing your scores to be low. So use it in parallel, get a recommendation on the Google tools and check in RUM if that is actually the right thing to fix for your specific group of users. And if it's the most important thing for your um, business at the moment?
3: Hey Dan, uh, I, I did some research and found that if I have you as my hero image on my site, I get a
2: lot of traffic just because. <laughs>
0: gosh, you're a, you're a, just uh, what a looker! Yeah.
2: Ooh. yeah, exactly. How how would you like to say? How do you like to say it, Steve? A face for for podcasts. Oh me! For the... oh, I have a voice for radio, a voice, uh, face for radio, and a voice for being a mime. Yeah, exactly. I'm not much different. I actually wanted, I very much concur with what uh, with what you said, Bianca, and I even want to give a concrete example about some of the benefits that you can get from using this sort of uh, drill down and insight capabilities that you mentioned, and also about the fact of multiple people within the organization being able to work together towards a common goal. What what I've seen is that very often a cause for bad performance or what are known as marketing pixels or marketing embeds, stuff like the Facebook pixel or Google Tag Manager and stuff like that, they can account for as much as 50% of, uh, of a page load time, which is kind of shocking, but it is what it is. And usually this is something that's totally handled by the marketing department or or group within the company, and something that the developers themselves are totally not involved in. And when you have this cycle or that 28-day cycle with the crux data, somebody in marketing could be adding a bunch of marketing pixels, which are really bad for performance, but you may not see it for you know potentially a few weeks. Whereas with real-time RAM data, you'll see the impact almost immediately. You'll be able to drill down into the session and say, hey, I'm loading all these resources that I haven't been loading before. Where are they coming from? And then realize that because we're running this amazing marketing campaign, but we never thought about the fact that it's... uh, slowing our page load by 50 percent
5: now yeah that's a great example and also to the accessibility point it's it also depends on how you load it right i remember when i was living in china having no access to a lot of websites because they chose to load things things like facebook or even google analytics in the header of a page and it's blocked in china so it just stops the loading of the full page and and so there were companies, external companies, saying, "Oh well, China is just blocking our websites." When in fact, this was a problem <laughs> of how they were loading loading this code snippets on the websites.
3: Uh, Dan, you're bringing back nightmares. I can remember working at a previous employer where we had, and in, in my case, it has more to do with ads more than you know than the softwares where we had this great website is really fast. And then we had to dump in all this ad JavaScript, and it would just slow things down. And The president wanted to know why it was slower. And I told him, he said, oh, (laughs) you know, and left it at that because we got to have the ads.
2: Well, well, yeah, obviously uh, it is what it is. You know, the fastest website is a blank website. But, you know, who cares? So if you if you need to run a marketing campaign, then you need to run that marketing campaign. But all too often, what I see is that when the marketing campaign ends, people just forget to remove that marketing pixel. So you run ads here and ads there, and the stuff just accumulates, and, you, and nobody ever thinks about doing this sort of house cleaning, which could dramatically improve the performance of the of the website. Now, if you get and if you are aware, if you see the degradation happen in real time, then first, then two things. First of all, like I said before, you you know what you've done. At least you're aware. You may not have a choice, but at least you know what's happening. And you can remember to put in your calendar that, you know, in two weeks, we need to remove this stuff because the marketing campaign will be over by then. Yeah, I think
0: it's interesting, though, that both you, Bianca, and Dan, you more or less made the point that it allows you to be proactive about it, right? Because otherwise, you're going to get that 28-day lagging indicator and then go, oh, what's going on here, right? You could catch it in a couple of days if you're paying attention to the metrics, the real user metrics coming in That's absolutely right
5: out. and also you get the real data right so that was another thing from earlier with Lighthouse Lighthouse is synthetic data it's kind of perfect conditions. so you might be testing something in development in there and um, and everything seems good but once you launch it to real users especially if those are not you know very similar to the perfect conditions that you have in Lighthouse, then there's going to be a surprise and you don't want to be waiting 28 days to, to find out, especially if this is business critical. And maybe this is, okay, there's a bit of speculation now, but with these marketing campaigns and then advertising, those were always measurable, right? So those are linked to, to revenue and you, you have a goal that you're trying to achieve and you, you have a campaign and you measure, measure the results. Now, what I've been seeing come up a lot more recently is companies publishing how improving corporate vitals has impacted on their bottom line on whatever um, business metric they're trying to improve. And this this is now interesting because I don't think that was previously really the case with performance or user experience. So now we have companies saying, well, we improved our LCP, and that actually increased the number of sales or increased uh, customer retention, increased these, these things. And you can actually compare against these marketing campaigns and what they're bringing in in terms of revenue. Do you have uh, actual examples of that? Yeah. So it's, there are a few companies posting about it, but most of them are just saying, look, we, we managed to get our core vitals to this in the score. Google is is doing a pretty good job at publishing these case studies and examples themselves. So that's kind of the majority. I did mention Yux earlier. So they've been leading in the e-commerce e-commerce fields about co and how to improve them. Some things I found were there's an Indonesian e-commerce platform called Talkopedia, and they improved LCP, like I just mentioned, and found uh, 55% improvement of LCP led to 23% increase in session duration. And so you'll find a lot of those, but the more interesting ones are when some uh, companies are Measuring this directly to revenue and Netzwerk, which is a German publishing uh, company, it's like an IT news website. They, <laughs> of course, it were tricky and optimized their Co-op Vitals to make their ads more viewable. And by doing that, attract higher value advertising and actually make more money with the advertising. And so that's that's pretty smart to be combining customer experience End the advertising revenue and really bringing bringing those teams together, right? And oh yeah, another one I'd like to point out that I I th- thought was super interesting. I mean, first of all, really interesting that lots of these examples are in Asia, and it's uh, even even Chinese companies that, like I mentioned before, probably have have these challenges of not being able to access every everything uh, due to government restrictions, but still care about the Google search ranking. But one example that I saw recently, here we go, is Agrify. Uh, so this is an, an agricultural marketplace in Latin America. They actually went ahead and used those co vital scores. So the, the development team used the co vital scores to go to their management and say, look, these scores are really poor. Yes, we could try and improve them, but really what we should, should be doing is rebuilding and move off our legacy. Tech and really start from scratch, address all these issues that we have, and and all of the technical depth, and then as a result of that, we'll have better core vitals, and we can measure, track that, and show you. So that was great, and this is this is I think where a RUM tool can really help you demonstrate that to management.
2: If I can toot our own horn, and I can manage some uh, something that we've done at Wix and what we've been able to achieve, so. Um I work at Wix as the the performance tech lead at the company. And let's put it this way. Approximately a year and a half ago, we were in pretty bad shape, relatively speaking, in terms of performance. Uh, The CMS market and the web builder market is is very competitive. And we were lagging in terms of performance. And and we kind of made it a company-wide strategic priority. And within the past year, we've managed to increase the percent, the ratio of Wix sites that are eligible for the maximum performance uh, ranking boost from Google by sevenfold. So we're not... Wow. Yeah, by sevenfold. And so we are not yet the fastest uh, CMS in every category or web builder in every category, but I can say that we have the, how would I call it? the, The highest trajectory, so, you know, give us a few months. We hope to be in front. And and we are ahead of most. Um, yeah, so, yeah,
5: super impressive. And, I saw your um, you have a webinar talking about this on, on YouTube, right? So I saw yeah, that. Exactly. It's, it's and super it's impressive. Really making,
2: yeah, it's really making a difference for our bottom line. Because we can, in the past, we would literally be losing customers. Uh, because they were yeah. saying, you know, our sites, we built sites on your platform and they're just not performing sufficiently well and now you know it's actually drawing users over to us because they can get better performance on our platform relative to other solutions in the market
5: you, you're getting this advantage by being you know ahead of your competitors with, with this It's a perfect example of flipping the conversation to you know people leaving because of poor performance to now coming because you're you're doing so well and i remember in, in the beginning we first started learning about Core Vitals. We talked about these page builders and you know how they're going to be dealing with with this. When yeah, as a user, as a customer myself, I have limited ability to improve for performance and for things like Core Vitals myself. So great to see that you're leading the way there.
2: Yeah, I think I I said it before when we talked about uh, Core Vitals is it. it you know, we're kind of lucky that, we, that Google's bottom line kind of, at least for now, aligns with the benefit of the web in many cases, not all cases, but in many cases, and performance being one of them. And it's really great to see how they kind of got the entire market moving in, in the right direction into the extent that we've started to compete with each other about who can provide faster sites, more accessible sites, Safer sites. It's it's a really it's a good thing.
5: It's so important also to again with t- things like accessibility, right? Because one of the things I worried about with the launch of Co-op Vitals was that this was an advantage for the large companies for um, the companies that have optimization teams that have the budget to spend uh, monitoring and um, improving performance and lots of smaller sites, especially those on page builders and depending on page builders would be left behind. So I think it's, it's super important for those, you know, for companies like Wix to be doing a good job and actually helping all those uh, people who are using their page builders to to run websites to be on par and not be uh, left behind in the in the search ranking results, but also be able to provide great experiences to their customers as well.
2: Yeah, so thank you for that. And to reciprocate, I also think that it's really great that you're providing a tool which enables essentially any company. And I assume it's not like super expensive that only like the Fortune 500 can afford to use it that uh, can enable essentially any organization to monitor and, and improve their performance.
5: That's absolutely true. So it's it's uh, it depends on on your traffic. So it uh, the pricing isn't just for enterprise customers. It starts very low and everybody can go and try it.
0: Yep. So we're kind of getting toward the end of our scheduled time if People want to start taking action toward core web vitals on their web applications. They're probably doing JavaScript. You know, maybe they listen to this show and then they have a .NET or a Ruby or some other back end. Maybe it's all, maybe it's a Jamstack, maybe it's something else. But what what are the steps, right? What are the steps for people to take in order to start getting their hands around this practically on their application?
4: I can chime in on this one. So, first step would definitely be to start monitoring your Core Web Vitals. It starts with the people being able to fix your Core Web Vitals as well. And so, having a team that actually can work together, having your designers, marketers, and engineers working together is where the core of actually bumping up the Core Web Vitals starts, I believe. And from there, I think in terms of fixing what's currently in place, I would see like with plugins. They can definitely be more of a like a beware situation. Like you would not necessarily want to opt in for services that optimize for core web vitals as such, such as plugins. They are more of a one size fits all approach, um, kind of like only using a synthetic based tool. You don't want to be using a one size fits all tool. You want to be, you want to know you know you need to know your customers and you know them best. So monitoring core web vitals yourself with You can use a synthetic tool, obviously, but with a lot or use a page speeds insights tool alongside a uh, lab field um, monitoring tool such as Raygun. But with plugins, they can definitely be, uh, they are definitely more community driven. So they can be a lot less secure and contain malicious code as well, um, such as plugins for WordPress. So I would definitely kind of stay a bit away from plugins, um, in my opinion. At Reagan, we use a page builder um, as well. Um, And we actually switched from our engineers using and maintaining the public site to our marketers now actually maintaining it using a page builder. They can actually optimize your websites quite a lot, which was actually quite surprising to see because I haven't actually gone too deep in the page builder world, but they definitely have gotten rid of like a lot of unnecessary code. They compile the code, they do image optimizations. And they improve the SEO and performance metric quite a bit. It's just one thing to note. Again, you do still want to be monitoring your core vitals. You want to see if you can actually take more action on your core vitals or is it great how it is. Upskilling your technical team as well, your non-technical team, sorry, can be a bit of an area you will need to invest time in if your your marketing team, for example, is not technical and they want to be working with page builders. So that is another approach. More of a technical side of things, I would opt for using CDNs so that you can actually cater your content to be served from a server that's closer to your site visitor. Also, of course, going back to how ads are even rendered on a website, you can use, again, the width and height attributes on images or on certain elements that you, can, that you want to be reserving space for, for a specific uh, piece of content that you want to load that may or may not take a while. But if it does take a while, obviously, there is a chance that you have images and that need to be compressed as well. And so at Raygun, we actually use compress.png.com uh, at SVGOMG by Jake Archibald. And this uh, definitely does improve the LCP, um, LCP metric. And we do, this is like a core practice that we do at Raygun. Every time there's an image that we want to be implementing within the app or the public site, we want to make sure it's compressed. So there's a bit of a spit for, Spitfire tips there that I've got. I mean, I've obviously got more, but I'll just leave it at that at the, at the moment.
0: Sounds good. All right. Well, we'll I think we're going to move into PICS. Just in the interest of time, but this has been really interesting. And I just, I love all of the practical uh, ideas around this and just the ideas around, I guess, breaking down the data into manageable pieces and looking at the individual user and filtered user data and, and deciding what really matters to you not just from the core web vitals, Google ranking, but also the user experience. I think a lot of times we just lose sight of that just because we look at Google and say, well, they must know what they're talking about. And we just focus on that stuff. So anyway, let's go ahead and do some picks. Hey, folks, it's Charles Maxwood. And I just wanted to jump on real quick and let you know that I am putting together a podcasting course. I get asked all the time. I've been coaching people for the last six months. How do you start a podcast? How do you put it together? What do I need in order to get it going, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I've put together the curriculum and I did it through coaching a whole bunch of people. And now I want to share it with you. You can go check out the course. It's actually going to be a masterclass. It's going to be a four week masterclass where I actually walk you through the entire process of launching a terrific sounding podcast and putting together content that people want to listen to. And you can find it at podcastbootcamp.io. Steve, do you want to start us off with picks?
3: Oh, sure. I know that I'm the high point of the podcast with the dad jokes, but I'll, uh, I'll get us going here. <laughs> You know, I get messages all the time that people listen just for my dad jokes, but uh, mm-hmm. anyway. So, I'm curious to see if you guys have heard of the band, they're actually pretty good called 1023 MB. The problem is they can't get a gig. AJ gig, gigabyte, megabytes. There. Oh. Thank you, thank you. And then for my uh, encore, so my uh my wife and my son are really big into Bigfoot. They like some watch those some of those Bigfoot tracking shows on on TV, and I told her that, you know, Bigfoot is sometimes confused as Sasquatch. Yeti never complains. You know Yeti, Y-E-T-I.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, we get it.
1: Okay. Silent laughter. We... I, I wanted the laugh to come out, but it was
0: just, it was silent. <laughs> They're I'm good, smiling. and then it gets sad because you try and explain them.
3: Well, I, I, no, the only reason I, I do it, it, it is it. because AJ always has this confused look on his
0: face, and so I got to make sure he understands it. Look? Well, AJ okay. always has it's, this confused okay. look on his face.
1: That's not true. I just, sometimes it takes me a minute.
0: Okay. <laughs> anyway, that that's all I got for today. All right. AJ, what are your picks?
1: Okay. So I'm going to start out with, I'm going to have to find the link for this. Actually, there's a YouTube channel where the the girl always starts with hello brains. And I think it's, uh, it's called how to ADHD. That's the name of the channel. And I never thought that ADHD was a thing. I just considered it a personality trait. I kind of still think that's what I consider it, but it does seem like there's some research to show that these, these people have similar traits. But I don't know if there's enough science to say that their brains are actually different or not. I'm still trying to figure that one out, if it's just like a colloquial thing or if it's a real thing. Anyway, point is, you get methamphetamines prescribed by your doctor if you can demonstrate that you have it. So if you want methamphetamines (laughs) anyway, (laughs) no, that's, I don't advise anyone to do that, but I just, I'm, I'm learning that a lot of the things that are quirky about me, especially things that bug other people or that make my life non-standard are, seem to be associated with ADHD, but I also can't say how much of it is the bias problem of, if you go into a room full of a thousand humans and you say, hey, I have this problem, then someone else is going to say, hey, I have that problem too. And so then you'd say, well, out of this group of a thousand humans, we've discovered that humans have these problems. And so I, I, don't, I don't know how much of it is just confirmation bias and that the people who are active in these communities are sharing the same problems because they have human problems and they happen to be in a group versus like there's st- statistically significant groupings. But anyway... I think that it seems to be common among programmers. I know a lot of programmers that are diagnosed with ADHD and I was diagnosed with it at myself uh, or in my youth myself. So how to ADHD, I'm just picking that channel. I also have to pick You Are Not a Visual Learner by Veritasium, which Dan has picked Veritasium in the past. Uh, It turns out there's no such thing as visual, auditory, or kinetic learning styles. That's just made up bogus junk. And when they've actually tested it, there is no statistically significant difference. It's just something that sounds cool on a bumper sticker. And who do you know that doesn't say they're a visual learner anyway? So that's kind of interesting. And then the technical stuff, uh, Brave Search, still love it. It's great. Getee, check it out if you want to do self-hosted GitHub. And then if you want to follow me on... Line as I do live live streams and stuff like that and educational resources. Beyond code, I've got all the links in there. And uh sorry I didn't contribute much today. I think a lot of the comments I had with the last time we talked about this, I, I commented in. so I don't think I didn't I didn't have that much new stuff to add. So I just kept silent. But I was here.
0: All right, Dan, what are your picks?
2: I, I think I'm gonna try to kind of invade Steve's territory with uh two dad jokes. So uh yeah. I set a so, pretty high is,
3: standard, so I'm hoping you can. Is, is it catching? Uh, we'll,
2: we will see. Anyway, it, it's. Uh, I have to tell you that it's so hot in Tel Aviv that today when I took a shower, I literally ran out of cold water. Okay. Uh,
3: oh, I thought it was serious.
2: <laughs> and uh, the other thing is something that actually literally happened was that uh, my son came back from the gym. And he said, Dad, today at the gym, I, I ran for three miles and then I cycled eight miles and I did it in under 50 minutes. And I said, I didn't realize your gym was that big. Anyway, okay. Yeah, Tough audience. Yeah, pretty good. I see where you're going. And finally, uh, if we were talking about my son, he actually shared a video with me, uh, which I enjoyed. It's actually, it's not a new video. It's a TED Talk from uh, way back in 2013. Uh, about the concept of uh, the multiverse. It's with uh, Brian Green, who's a an phys- American ph- theoretical physicist. And it's a really interesting and uh, and thought-provoking talk. So I'll share the link to that. And those would be my picks.
3: Keep working Very on that, cool. Jokes.
2: Uh, let me know if you need any help. Yeah, I probably do.
0: All right. So I've got a couple of picks. Uh, the first one is I am starting to do some... I don't want to call them webinars. What do I want to call them? Basically. Q&A session. <laughs> no, because so okay, so you, you earned a rant, Dan. You earned it. So webinars are you show up and somebody gives you good information and then they do a lame sales pitch at the end. That's a webinar. What I want to do is I want to give people just some actionable information and then answer questions and get off. No sales pitch. No funky whatever, no pressure to do anything other than just, hey, you know, go do something that improves your life. Right. And so I'm just going to give you information. I'm not going to try and sell you anything and then answer questions for people about like career stuff and things like that. What I'm finding is some of the, some of my panelists or co hosts on some of the shows run into funky stuff with their careers. It's like, well, what do I do in this situation? And it's like, well, I, I have thoughts. I have advice. Some people are trying to start podcasts. Some people are trying to get noticed in other ways. Some people are trying to break into the, the industry. And I'm just like, I want to help these people. And I want to make it easy to find them. So if you go to devchat.tv slash level up, it will take you... It's going to show a Zoom webinar page is what it's going to do. There, I said the W word again. And I'm just going to do it every Wednesday at noon, mountain time. And you can just show up. I'm probably going to take 10 or 15 minutes and just talk about, hey, here's how you do a thing, right? So here's how you figure out where you want to go in your career. Here's how you find a tool for this. Here's how you learn a new thing. Here's how you evaluate boot camps, you know, whatever. And if people ask me a question that requires a longer answer like that, then I'm happy to do it, right? And then the rest of the time, I'll answer questions. And when I answer questions in this way, I tend to go deep, right? So I'm not just gonna somebody's gonna be like, well, I'm struggling with this situation at work. I'm not just gonna be like, oh, read this book, right? I'm actually gonna go deep. Okay, what's your situation? What does it look like? Where are you at? What is it what are you dealing with? Okay, what's keeping you from doing this? What have you tried this? Okay, well, it sounds like this might be the situation okay. And and we'll we'll actually dig in and, and talk about it, right? So it's gonna be some form of coaching, right? I think some of the answers might wind up being short, but I think some of it's going to be a longer conversation, you know, 10, 20 minutes. And uh, I just, I I want to help people. And so if you sign up, you you know, that's what you're in for. That's the kind of thing we're going to go to. And we'll just go until we either run out of time or run out of questions. And I'm going to do that every Wednesday. Just to this clarify, Wednesday,
2: because you called it kind of coaching. It's it's not a one-on-one, right? It's a group thing. It's a group no, thing. It's it's, a group can you just register? You don't have to like purchase anything or no. whatever?
0: You don't have to purchase anything. There's no commitment from you. You just show up. You ask your question. We'll talk and I'll see if I can help you figure out whatever you're trying to figure out.
2: Very okay. cool. I, I hope it doesn't come out as being too late on Israel time because it, it definitely sounds like something that I want to listen in. Like, uh, Yeah. It sounds interesting.
0: Yeah. And, and ultimately, I don't want it either to just be a, I have this problem. I also want it to be uh, my career is not going in the direction I want or I'm kind of stuck on the default developer career path where I feel I'm eventually going to get promoted into management or I'm going to be stuck in senior development career jobs for the rest of my life. And I don't know kind of what my other options are. And so let's figure out what those are. I, I want to inspire people. I don't want to just troubleshoot careers. I'm also happy to troubleshoot careers. I'm not ruling that out. But I want to help solve both. So if you're kind of in that spot, or if you're trying to create a product, and you're trying to figure out how to start a podcast and build an audience, you can do that. I mean, let's, let's talk, right? I, I, I really want to just dive in and just help some folks out, right? And build relationships and just see where we can go from there. So anyway, I'm going to be doing it on Wednesdays at noon. We're recording this on a Tuesday, so I'm not doing it tomorrow. This will come out in like a month. Next week, I'm out of town. But after that, we're going to be doing it. So when this comes out, go to devchat.tv slash level up. It'll show up. You'll be able to jump on and uh, yeah, we'll have a conversation. If things change when my kids start school, it might show up on a different day of the week at a different time. But I am committed to doing it every week. So anyway, right now it's looking like Wednesdays at noon. So. Anyway, I'm I'm super excited about it. And and I, I just feel like it's an opportunity to help people. But I, I am doing that training for 10 minutes, 15 minutes at the beginning. And so that's that's kind of where I was like, it's not a webinar, but it's training. So anyway, just putting that out there. And then other picks. I'm almost done with Rhythm of War by Brandon Sanderson. I'm really, really, really enjoying that. It's a it's a fun book. It's a fantasy book if you're into that. It's the fourth book in the Stormlight Archives. So you're probably going to want to start with Way of Kings. And what else? Uh, what I we
2: really going? like that series. But the problem is that such a long time has passed since I finished the, the yeah. last book. I'm not sure i remember. And, yeah, and I and, yeah, I had to go back and
0: I've been listening on Audible. I've had to go back and re-listen to all the other ones. And they're long books.
1: Well, the way the universe expands on that one, too, is just insane. So, I, I mean, you start off with way of kings feeling like one book and one world but then there's so much growth with the characters and what they're discovering and where they're able to go that by the time mm-hmm. you get to rhythm of war it's it feels like a different world but in a very natural way like life is that mm-hmm. way you know like you go through a stage of life you get a your first real job or you get married or you have your first kid and life changes and it's different and that's kind of how i feel like those books are the things that are happening in the book, at the end of the, that one book and going on to the next, it's it's a new world to go into. It's just, I, the dude's amazing.
0: Yeah. yeah, it's fun. Well, and they're all part of his Cosmere. So at least three of the characters in the Stormlight, Ar- Stormlight Archives are actually not from Roshar, which is the world that it takes place in. They're from, I can't remember the world, but the book is Warbreaker, which is one of his other books and there's
1: there's another two characters aside from who's in warbreaker
0: mm-hmm. yeah so it's it's fun to kind of try and pick them out and see okay who's moving from world to world but anyway so i'm i'm really enjoying that and uh, yeah i'll just wrap up my picks there sumitra do you have some picks
4: yeah i've got a couple jokes as well so if apple made a car would it still have windows I just
3: saw that one the other day and was taught about it, but uh, I'm glad you brought that
4: up. Oh, what was the other one? If you drop a soap on the ground, is the floor clean or is the soap dirty? Yeah. Yes. yes. <laughs> no. I thought they were pretty good. I saw them online and I thought, yeah, they, they made me wonder. <laughs> Another thing, I wrapped up the formula one series on netflix probably wouldn't expect me to watch something like that <laughs> but it was very interesting and it's kind of like rayon on steroids <laughs> I, I that's how i see it because they're all about performance they're so hyped up they are so the drivers themselves and the team the engineering team and all of them they are so motivated to get the work done on the cars and really get out on the circuit to drive the cars and make sure they stay on top and try and get to podium position. It shows great lessons as well, and you really get to understand the mindset of a Formula One driver, and you get to see what they actually go through. I thought it was—I thought it was very motivational. It was really interesting to see how Formula One cars work, and just in general, how actually cars can actually work too. So I thought, yeah, if you haven't—if you guys haven't watched it—I would highly recommend watching the Formula One series. You guys will definitely get hooked on it. I got my, my team lead hooked on it actually and he and his
5: partner enjoyed it a lot. Uh, so yeah, those are my picks.
0: Awesome. Bianca, what are your picks?
5: Yeah, so speaking of webinars with lame sales pitches, <laughs> Now, I did want to point out that we, we have a, a webinar that we hosted a couple of weeks ago. So for for those people for whom this chat about how Reagan works was a little abstract, um, it has quite quite an extended demo in it. So you do not need to sign up to see how we do things at Rogan. You can see it in the webinar. And we we go into a little bit more depth of these uh, workflow steps that we touched on earlier. So I'll drop that in the notes so we can share that as well. In terms of my picks, you have to forgive me that my mind is very much immersed in the COVID vitals world. So it is related to that. But something really interesting that I heard about recently was that Google's motivation obviously is around customer experience. But uh, somebody was saying, well, this is also a step to make websites float faster, make them lighter. So it's ultimately saving them costs, but it's also saving carbon emissions. And so it's making them kind of a greener company. There's some pressure in some countries for for them to be doing that because of the incredible amount of energy that these server farms are using. So for Google, this is also contributing to being a greener company and actually doing something actively to reduce their carbon emissions, which I very much hope is true. And so this would be my pick. I've just started doing a bit of research on the impact that you know, we in the tech companies have on on carbon emissions. It often feels like we're quite removed from sustainability and climate change and those things. But actually I think making decisions about technology to use and how to load websites does have a direct link to it. And it's super fascinating when you start looking into what say the selection of your hosting company or the location for that can do in order to contribute to to more uh, sustainable or purchase, and to reducing carbon emissions. So that would be my pick. Have a look at that.
0: Awesome. If you both can put links to your picks in the chat, we'll make sure they end up in the show notes. And then if we can just get real quick where people can reach out to you, say on Twitter, GitHub, or anywhere else you'd like them to reach out. Sometimes people like LinkedIn as well. That would help. And that way, if people have questions, they can say, hey, got questions. I'm also going to put a link to Raygun on Twitter.
5: Uh, yeah, great. That's the Reagan on Twitter is great. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn if you uh, look for my ridiculous last name. You'll find me very easily. And uh, but I'm not on Twitter myself, so I'd say LinkedIn or or actually good old email shame on you, Yanka <laughs> at Reagan.
1: And and <laughs> for those for those listening, it's spelled G R I Z H A R.
5: <laughs> right? yeah. Maybe bianca at com is easier actually now that you went <laughs> to that.
2: Yeah, but you should be on Twitter. Everybody should be on Twitter. I, I, I mean, everybody in tech needs to be on Twitter.
5: I was I, on Twitter 10 years ago, yeah.
1: I, I would love to hear why you think that is, Dan, because I think Twitter is a great place to get roasted and to lose your sensibilities. Not as bad as Reddit, but not great.
2: It depends on how you use it and and what you choose to share or not to share. I'm very intentional about both.
1: So people who have max self-control should get on Twitter. People who do not have up to 110% self-control, well, at minimum 110% self-control, maybe don't need to be on Twitter. Or maybe don't need to be on social media at all. Well... I don't want to live alone, Dan.
5: (laughs) I'll tell you Uh, why I'm not on Twitter. Is uh, like I mentioned earlier, I was in China for 10 years. Twitter is not a thing there. And in New Zealand, we all know each other. So,
1: (laughs) (laughs) oh, there you go. Funny. I thought it was bigger than just a neighborhood,
0: (laughs) it's two neighborhoods.
4: So, uh, you can uh, contact me at sumetra at com. Yep. Yep. That's the email address. Or you can reach out to me on LinkedIn. I believe the link is linkedin.com slash IN slash Uh Those are my primary contacts there.
0: And that's S-U-M-I-T-R-A. All right. Very cool. Well, thank you both for coming. This has been fun and it's been great to dive into this because I've, I've been curious, more and more curious about it since we talked about it last. So I'm going to have to dive in and see, yeah, what we can break on the internet with this stuff. <laughs> All right, folks, we're going to wrap it up here. Until next time, Max out. Adios. Bye. Adios.
5: Thank you very much for having us.
0: Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit dot com to learn more.